Welcome to Tell Me About Your Mother, a podcast for counselors by counselors, where we explore issues related to our profession, filtering them through our professional and sometimes personal and humorous lens. Each episode, Evan, Eli, and Melissa offer food for thought by bringing their experience and humanity to help you strengthen your practice of psychotherapy. We would love to connect with you at contact us at tellmeaboutyourmother.run. So you've been raising hell with um, online chat communities, with therapists looking for help for oh, yeah. problem children. Yeah, it's a new thing I do. Um, I, I actually I wasn't even trolling initially when I did it. <laughs> I was being optimistic. Yeah, it's like we we have posts where we're searching for uh, someone to support a client who has supposed operational defiance disorder or ADHD or whatever. And I've started to just ask these people that are searching for that service uh, if the parents need therapy. Why would I ask that? Because oppositional defiant disorders, not, I mean, even though people want to characterize it as a behavioral problem, mm-hmm. and it is. I mean, I, I've, I've experienced some very confounding behaviors with children who've been diagnosed with that, but that's not even the core issue. That's just the means with which they communicate Right. Some negative core beliefs that they have ultimately related to the very poor connection they have with their parents, the poor attachment. Yeah. So it's the failure to conceptualize a kid as their language being behavior. Exactly. That they don't have the lexicon or the terminology or the self-reflective capacity to communicate in an adult fashion. Hence why there's a whole theoretical orientation called play (laughs) therapy. Yeah. So it's what let's look at the the monkey clapping the symbols as opposed to the room it's in or or something. Yeah. Or who's winding up that monkey? Right. The jack in the box. <laughs> who's who's winding up the creepy clown that spits out making weird noises? Yeah, what is a kid defying? Is it healthy or unproductive? Yeah, oh this this brings me to something else too, uh related to because I probably could have been diagnosed with ODD, misdiagnosed probably. But um, I, I don't know who told me this in grad school, but someone, maybe I created this in my mind, but they said, someday you'll run into a client who is you. Like it'll happen one day. You'll just sit down and you'll sit with someone and you'll be like, holy shit, this is me 10 years ago or something. I had a client that's like 13 or 14 and like is a spitting image looks like me his energy is similar like when i was middle school hair is like in his eyes a skater he's oppositional like his language is behavior he's being mislabeled and scapegoated he's being expelled from school like the last day of school he spray painted something in the bathroom Mm. and they expelled him and so i i have to check my own countertransferences because that's a client that I could go over 30 minutes with, right? Like I'm like more invested where I want to be. But, um, yeah. So I was like, man, how do I, two minutes, 30 minutes session, like 30 minutes longer or something. Oh, okay. Right. Like not being fair to other people. 
not if I had a client waiting, but if it was right. the last client of the day, I'd be like, oh, we'll sit for an hour and a half. Even though that doesn't even work with him because he's 12 and, you know, needs to pinball in the bathroom halfway through the session. But, um, yeah, I'm like, man, I, my whole relation to him right now, it's, it's been telling because I've, I've never had a client that young. And I'm talking with him. And, like, halfway through, it was probably his way to build relationship with me or he's blocking from something. But I let it. I let it slide a lot more gently with him and you guys could tell me maybe that's my counter-transference to him but my idea was he's young and let's just let it slide but he started talking about Netflix shows and like we we talked about what we liked for like 20-30 minutes which I wouldn't normally do and it wasn't like I was disclosing a lot we were talking about a show or skateboarding or, or something like that and I, my motive for that in the moment was to build trust and relationship because I could see that, like, or I could feel that, like, my my normal way of inquiry was just so foreign to him and maybe not even where he is cognitively or developmentally that it would be more effective to talk about Ozark mm. as, as a way to build uh, some kind of rapport. But so he spray painted this bathroom and I was thinking to myself, like how would people respond to me if I were to do something like that? And, you know, obviously it's like, why would you do that? Um, What were you thinking? All these different feedbacks that we're getting from adult minds. What I said was, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I, I tried to like completely shift what was being echoed back to him and like talking about what was fun about it. Like what was attractive? Yeah. How did he respond to that? Very confused. <laughs> like what the hell? It's like this guy's crazy. But yeah, it's like that. I like, and I, I um, reframed it as like excitement in a boring world, stuff like that. Okay. I mean, that starts off innocuous and then I would imagine like it might disarm him enough to where he reflects upon like what was he trying to communicate or get out of yeah i'm trying to disarm him bathroom right because when we have some like unliked behavior from a child we want to wrangle it in and stop it but in all actuality that just creates more resistance right less trust you don't get what you want i think it's in a unique position to be in as a counselor because you don't have to be the parent and you don't have to because i think a, a parental reaction god knows i've been guilty of this would be like why did you do that? Yeah. You're affecting the system. You're embarrassing the family. You know, you're <laughs> acting like an asshole. You have you know? your own buy-in to it. Exactly. Yeah. Because I'm so deeply connected to yep. how my children behave, especially at school. But I think then it's almost like you're in an allyship with him. And right. y'all can look at the, almost like you can look at the spray painted bathroom together. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at a painting at a museum and like, what is this about? What does this mean to you? And I told him, like I committed to him that I would talk to him like an adult. Because he said his last counseling experience in fourth grade, they gave him like Uno cards and the colors represented certain like oh, feelings. Mm-hmm. And he thought that that was just so stupid. Like babyish? Yeah. Play- so I, I think That's that he. That's a play therapy technique. Yeah, but I think he's too smart. Like, because I, I remember that as a kid being in like counselor offices and they they suspected that like I was developmentally somewhere I wasn't. Mm. And then I would placate them. I would cater to them because I didn't want them to feel like 
you know, everyone framed me as an asshole, but I actually digest a lot of shit that no one noticed. So I'm like thinking for the counselor and myself to protect them from feeling incompetent and treating me. Because ultimately that would keep you safe, right? Because that's the dynamic in which you were right. raised. Yeah, so yeah, I was reenacting yeah. all of that because they're giving me something that I'm like, wait, this is ridiculous. This isn't helpful at all. Like I'm not connecting to your color Uno cards, <laughs> right? Like I want to talk to talk about the complexities of my family system as an eight-year-old. That's what I want to do. But the counselor didn't sit with me and figure out that that's what I wanted, right? They just gave me Uno cards. So anyway, I, I committed to him. I'm like cracked out on this cold brew, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I committed to him to speak to him like an adult, and he was very like appreciative of that. I th- yeah, I think that just demonstrates a lot of respect for him rather than treating him like um, the term problem child came to mind, but you yeah. know, just um, in this belittling way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's respect for the therapeutic process, too. Yeah. Don't spray paint the bathroom. That's not the problem. (laughs) What's his message? What's his intention? And asking, you know, mentioning, this is, what's the fun about that? Mm. This is fun. Let's talk about the good stuff. When you identify that, then we can find alternate ways to meet those needs. Right. And why are you so, I mean, he's bored, probably too smart, and probably has withdrawn from a lot of different relationships based on a lack of trust and being mislabeled and all that. Is he in public school? Yeah. I'm wondering if he's just too smart for his peer group or for his grade. He said, um, I mean, I don't know about, I'm not around a lot of people that age, but I don't even think I would have said that. He said, uh, in retrospect. Oh, really? And I'm I'm like, he's in like sixth or seventh grade. Yeah, that sounds like, 12th grade. Like he said that level. a couple times. It almost like, that's a pretty, I mean, is it? I don't know. You I would think kids. so. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, my children talk like that because that's how I talk to them. <laughs> In retrospect. <laughs> but her, his mom but, didn't seem very smart. Like, I mean, I don't know. There but. might be a mismatch between him and his parents. I mean, that that's a very His dad's common, completely absent. Oh, God bless him. Since three. Awful. Yeah. Oh, shit. So he's just really wanting to connect. It's good that he has a male therapist. Yeah. Did he respond and answer what the f- about the fun part of this? Or was he too uh, shocked? I think he was shocked. Like, he liked that question, but he was like, like it was pig Latin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or was he like, suspicious? This I mean, is who a the, trap. Who the, yeah, maybe. But who the fuck says that? I guarantee you no one said that to him. Okay, so out of curiosity, <laughs> do you know what he actually, what the words he spray painted? Oh, I asked him. Uh, it was, he was trying to, um, ta- like tags. He knows about tags. Like that's what they call spray painting on oh, random like his things. Own yeah. So he was trying signature. to create like a signature. It was a word. I can't remember. It didn't seem significant, but it was a word that it's like purposefully misspelled mm. or something. Okay. Something like that. Um. So a, a graffiti tag is like a dog pissing on anything. Right. You're just marking it. This is mine, or I've yeah. been here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like you make your own guest book mm-hmm. on the bathroom wall. What was his word? Did he say? Uh, I can't remember. It didn't seem like it wasn't like Relevant. molestation or something. <laughs> help, I've been molested. Me. Help, help me. me. <laughs> yeah, so it didn't seem like that, that apparent. 
Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, it would be nice if if children gave like those kind of yeah. like alarm bell red flags. I mean, some do, but not always. Those. Yeah, my mom has my a personality disorder. Is, yeah. <laughs> help me, <laughs> help me, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, my problem is yeah, fill in the blank. I uh, I can't get past the expulsion. This is bullshit to me. So I asked him too. I was like, or I said something because um, I'm trying to join with him. I'm like. I'm trying to figure out how that's helpful. Like pause for a minute. Tried to like show that I was being like very thoughtful, intentional and said that. Um, and I think that's probably foreign to like to hear that from an adult. It's like, Oh, I got in trouble. I got expelled. And then the, the adult is like, Hmm, I'm trying to figure out how that would be helpful for you. That's, um, I've, I think that my, I'm hoping that my counter-transference is informing me slightly as to how to intervene okay so like what i would have needed to hear well if he's in public school he has to they're going to send him to like an alternative school i think she's trying his mom's trying to get him into like a different school like a charter school or something something like that i hope that would work out on the last day well i mean that tells me like they were just like D-O-N-E, like just done, done, done with him. So then I would think that's like... Schools are pretty intolerant though. Are they? They were in my world. Okay. I don't know. I remember this dude, he always had uh, this thing, like a fupa or something. Uh, He would sit and he'd have like his pants and you'd just see his junk. Like he just... (laughs) be like he's like he was like the uh the principal that was all about the behavior he's like behavior patrol and he'd pull me into his office he'd be like well that's in the handbook like there's this handbook of like policy and if you did this you got this punishment if you did this you got this punishment so he would always bring me in his office and basically you know be interrogated for some fight or he thought i was in a gang um and then he'd just like confiscate my cigarettes and send me home and wow. why am i bringing him up because he represents the authority oh. that had to like <laughs> it was like stopping your fun referring to the handbook and was, the handbook. That a, was that effective discipline how did well, that help you yeah I, and thinking about this client's use the word that i always use phenomenology and my own i'm thinking like when I was in that guy's office, I didn't know what I was truly thinking. Like I just knew I was very averse to him and thought he was an idiot. But what what would have, what was happening is I was at, with someone who was supposed to be a guide, yet they were concrete thinkers, and I was very synthetic, even at that age. And so there was a constant, like, like so people misperceived me as defiant or oppositional, However, I was just synthetic and thinking abstractly and complexly. And these people in positions of power were thinking very concrete, very monkey-ish. Mm. And yeah. so that's also how like I could be misperceived as condescending. Because I, yeah, I was raised in like public schools in the South. And I don't know if I ever had a smart teacher. Like in, in elementary school, yeah, in middle school. It can be very... Um, like there'd be one. Very rigid There'd be thinking. one like, wow, this person really knows how to connect and think and get me mm-hmm. thinking and knows how to engage me. Like one out of three years of a school. 
so that kind of speaking of that, so this is my own stuff coming up. Um, finally, I was allowed to be a guest speaker for Career Day for elementary school for years they would never let me be oh the nice <laughs> especially like, when i a, worked in the jail i'm a witch no. <laughs> <laughs> i should have but so start doing group therapy in there they're like oh <laughs> so of course this year the school counselor just had all of the career professionals just record like a 10 minute video about their lives and we had to or their careers and we had to follow like this uh 10 question um, rubric. And so in I answered the, all 10 questions and it took me 10 minutes. And so um, my stepdaughter, Ellen, she said, she came to me later and she goes, oh, I saw your career day, you know, video. It was so good. And she goes, and then she turns to me and she goes, my teacher says you used big words. And I was like thinking to myself, like, is this a teacher condemning all the children and thinking that they couldn't comprehend or ask clarifying questions or later uh, yeah. look up anything I said or ask, you know, what does this word mean? It felt like she was belittling the, the students in the class. It's like the, uh, when you're helping elderly and speaking as if they're five. Yes. yes. Hello, John. <laughs> How are you? It's like, I'm not dumb. I just can't hear. Fuck. <laughs> or, or I'm 85. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it promotes them to actually act like children. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And Ellen said, I understood every word you used. And I was like, well, of course you did because you're my kid. <laughs> but yeah, it felt, um, I don't know how that resonates with you. I know you used to be a teacher, but you taught biology, so big words were part of the curriculum i would believe yeah even in fifth and sixth grade science it is i just find that so insulting to not talk going back to what you were saying earlier not talk to children maybe even half a step above where they are i mean yeah not as like adult like oh i'm gonna talk to you like an adult no but like no I man i don't want to parentify any child but yeah in terms of language, like it just seems disrespectful to me, right? And I would want to, I would want someone younger. If I use a word that they're uncertain about, we have enough trust to where they like, hey, what does that mean? Well, it's like even dialect. If you talk to your clients, I mean, like if you have a client who walks in from a, like allegedly North Carolina has fourteen dialects, right? And I'm sure they're dying out because the population. Grab me a buggy. Exactly. I mean, carry me to the store. <laughs> I've never carry me to the store. What uh-huh. does that mean? Take me, drive me. Oh, that's interesting. But, but, but me assuming, okay, you come from a certain region of North Carolina. I'm going to talk to you in what I think is this dialect. It's going to come across in my mind inauthentic. Like you're trying yeah. to mm-hmm. meet them where they're at, so to speak, but doing it in a very cartoonish, round peg, square hole kind of way. And that might be a place they don't want to be. Exactly. And you're also not going to do it well. No. Because you're not native to whatever the dialect is. That would be like talking to a, a black client named Bonnex. Exactly. That would be very offensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, word up, man. What's good? <laughs> it's like, what? Like, what the fuck are you talking you're about? You're white, dude. <laughs> Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, um, wanting counselors to see a child that's struggling with behavioral problems and the automatic thought process be zoom out, think of the system, treat the whole system. That's the hope. Not fixate on presenting a problem. You look at, you fixate on the child. What you're doing is you're, you're fixating on a, 
someone with a panic attack disorder as opposed to the underlying traumas. You're just doing it in terms of the system as opposed to the client's presenting problem. Because that's the system's presenting problem, is the child with ODD. Yeah, that it's like trying to cure cancer by just giving somebody vitamins or not trying to find like the cure. I mean, find the root cause of the cancer Mm -hmm. or, you know, like if it's a skin cancer, only cutting off just the visible part, but not the part that's several layers deep. Yeah, it's definitely by then, by by the time a child is displaying these behaviors, it's more like metaphorically speaking, the house is really on fire. As to what's going on in their family, right. and it didn't predate system. like two days before the tagging of the bathroom. Exactly, like this is the reason. You know, that's the escalation. Now the problem's got a lot of attention because he's been expelled. Mm-hmm. But the problem is more, I would imagine, has a lot to do with his grief over the loss of his dad and just the mom being a single mother and having to be two, both mother and father to him. It's a confusing process with clients dealing with like uh being abandoned by a parent or law like like uh okay being two and like a parent leaving me or being two and a parent dying which i guess could be similar it's a a confusing process because they don't have personal experience with the parent like they don't have memories Every, every memory they have is a story they've been told and by whom we gotta figure that out too it's just a weird, it's a weird process, like to not have any memory at all. Like, cause I'll, I would ask him and he's like, if he's left when he's three. But the message from everyone was that that's a significant part of his story. Yeah. And that your dad left for basically your dad left you, your dad didn't want you. Is it a good thing or bad you. thing or just a thing? Mm-hmm. Everybody's labeling it bad and that's going to be his takeaway. Right, and so even if it wasn't, it is now. Like, as I've met him, if everyone's consistently labeled it as bad and effective to him, it it is now. Yeah, every response is going to be, oh, I'm sorry, that's so so hard on you. It's like he could have grown up with an alcoholic father who gave him busted lips and black eyes. Right, and he would have. I think the the father was substance use. (laughs) So... Anyway, enough about me. What about you guys? But I, don't, I don't. I think you're being hard on yourself if you look at countertransfer. Oh, more about me? Okay, come on. Because I think <laughs> come on, <laughs> you're looking at history. It's like there's a better way to do this than just treat children like children and use Uno cards. It looked like so. Is this about you or is it about him? I think it is about him. Yeah, but I think I'm using our, as a touchstone a little, like myself. But all of our work is still through filtered us. through our story. Yeah, my life. Yeah, it can't not be. We're not robots. But I think countertransference is that's going to negatively in, influence my performance. How therapeutic it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, I'm not becoming a master or anything. So, but it's so sad that we're prioritizing because the issue here with this kid is paint on the wall versus his life. Expulsion's huge. Mm-hmm. That's on your permanent record. That's you're not allowed to be in society. You know, that's one of the railroad cards on the prison pipeline is Mm -hmm. expulsion. Mm. So which is more important, 
this boy's life or paint on the wall. Yeah, and that's the problem with public schools because they are ultimately about protecting their system. It's not an individualistic program. So getting rid of him protects, you know, the functioning of this, as they see it, the functioning of their system. We had to set an example out of him. Yeah, we have to set an example. Okay. Or As if everybody's walking around with a can of spray paint just waiting. Yeah. Right. Well, and the school counselors are proctoring tests as opposed to, like, my, that's my question, right? You have a student that spray paints the bathroom the last day of school. Um, aren't most c- public schools mandated to have school counselors on staff? Mm-hmm. Okay, so but they're not allowed to do therapy. Correct. So you have a, you okay? Administration, you're not clinically skilled. We don't expect you to be. We don't expect you to conceptualize this properly. We expect you to be authoritarian and want to correct the behavior. One takes that as an example. We understand that. However, you have school counselors. Who knows how skilled they are? You have them on staff. Why don't you use them as an intermediary between the behavior, the administration, and projected outcomes, right? Through a clinical lens, build a relationship, do therapy, whatever. That's that's the most logical approach. But as the administrator, if I'm not a clinician, you know, I would have had that. this kid bring in paint stripper or sandpaper. I would have that kid fix it. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be an appropriate yeah. correction. I mean, it, or just, you know, have the therapist there right, in an ideal world, obviously, and, you know, be like you. Like, well, what was fun about this as you're erasing it and washing it away? What was the purpose here? What were you trying to communicate? What What's a better discipline? It? Go home or God knows if you spray paint it over tile and grout. How, you don't know mm-hmm. how bad that is, how easy the fix is, but if he has to fix it. That's a lesson. Well, the problem is it's their job to deal with him, but they don't want to. And they didn't. Correct. <laughs> but it's, that's their job. It's like trap administrator. <laughs> there you go. Like you're, you don't teach. You're an administrator. You're supposed to administrate. It, administer punishment. Yeah. Basically. I think their argument would be we're not the parent. The mother should be the one, <clears throat> quote, punishing well, the expulsion is the punishment on their end. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, if they didn't expel him. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I just feel sad. I hope he gets into a, a small charter school or something. Something that's more, like, intellectually ju- his speed. <clears throat> you just see the setup, right? So mislabeled. Um, already being engaged in a social group that is defiant to like common norms, right? Skateboarding. Um, You're going to start hanging out with older people. They're going to be doing things that are more combative to common culture, like smoking weed or drinking PBRs. You're going to be exposed to that at like 13, 14. You're going to get in more trouble. You're going to be exiled and probably develop addiction. how that works well that's very depressing (laughs) we need more counselors in schools we need to let them do therapy Mm -hmm. and stop classifying school counselors as educators 
Well, we needed to reform the entire school counseling track and treat them as if they are counselors, not school counselors. There should be no separation, I don't believe. I agree with you. Like, yeah. what's, what's the point? What message are we sending when we have a school counseling track that doesn't emphasize therapy? Like, that's not going to help. We need to, we need to have people that go into counseling and want to work in a school go into that school and feel like it's completely ridiculous that they can't do therapy. Not, this is what's expected. This is how we fall in line. I think we're seeing this still kind of an identity crisis. Our degrees 25 years ago were called school guidance. Mm -hmm. And then those people started doing independent practice. Mm. So it's like, are we counselors or school counselors? Our whole field started with school counseling, period. That's all. Mm. And now we're trying to do... Wasn't after a war or something? World War II. With all the of infancy the of school counseling, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Which was really... Like they passed a bill. Right. I can't remember. Well, I mean, that was like when standardized testing became very... Yeah. Uh, yeah the focus was and, career, vocation, and standardized testing and facilitating, you know, good citizens. Mm-hmm. Factory they were still operating on that how long later? 50 years later. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing character development. Like, senior, okay, pro- senior projects. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But with all this violence and dead students, every teacher, everybody walks into a school wondering if they walk out. Mm-hmm. And the talk is all, the focus is all mental health, mental health, mental health. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about racism or xenophobia. Nobody's talking about, you know, political violence. Nobody's talking about, are we harming these children who are coming back with an AR-15? Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, there's always a bully component to these shooters. You're talking about um, the boy, I can't remember, his name, Salvador or something or other, who killed all those children and the teachers in Uvalde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, something just um, happened like two days ago, too. I don't Tulsa, know. Oklahoma. Tulsa, in a hospital, a hospital. Or medical office. But, but all of these shooters, there's always a, a theme of being ostracized. Ostracized. Yeah, there's outcast, mistreatment somewhere. Mistreatment, yeah. Or like the fucking crazy algorithms that make crazy people. <laughs> Social media algorithms. <laughs> they think yeah. everybody are lizard people. So oh, yeah. you're crazy. Here's some more crazy stuff to read. But I mean, like that the, the guy in Uvalde, he was um, bullied since like early preschool for having a speech impediment, um, a lisp of some kind. And um, his mom was a, in and out of drug use and he was mostly raised by his grandparents. I mean, he just, um, yeah, I don't think he ever got the proper interventions as a little kid, both for the speech impediment as well as for just the behavioral health concerns with having a mom who's an addict and being raised by grandparents. I mean, I don't know. This is, his, it makes me wonder, like, and all, then he dropped out like a few weeks before he shot up the Robb Elementary School. It's almost like he, he was like um, disappearing into the woodwork and his own family, I mean, I don't know that, but it's almost like they weren't paying attention. They weren't 
shocked and concerned? I mean, I don't know. Like, um, like didn't he kill cats and keep them in a bag or something? And <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, like that was another thing. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you don't just like you don't just you're not a highly functioning person. Buy an AR-15 and then go shoot up a school. Like there's signs along the way. It's a trajectory to how he got there. And I, it just feels like the adults in his life were asleep at the wheel. I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, with this, your client, you know, obviously his mom cares enough to get him into therapy. So she is, you know, she's waking up. She, or she might already be in tune with the fact that he's going sideways. So, I mean, I think that's hopeful. Yeah. I mean, the, he just might just be too smart for his own good. <laughs> I had a, my debate partner in high school was like that. Like he got into all kinds of legal trouble while we were in high school together because he would come up with like these schemes. So I was. Yeah. Like he just had these schemes. Like, I mean, he even got a visit from the secret service because he was, had a, a money, a counterfeit money scheme going. It's <laughs> yeah. funny. So who visited? The secret service. <laughs> Because he was, he and his best friend were photocopying $20 bills. And then they were dumbasses. Like, it's like they were too smart for their own good. So they were photocopying $20 bills on a very high end photocopier. And this is in the early 90s. So these photocopiers were like, you know, the, the sophisticated ones were large. They had to go somewhere, like one of their dad's offices or some who like had connection to like a graphic shop. And they were photocopying this $20 bill. And they would do it every Saturday and go to the same 7-Eleven, use the fake $20 bill to buy themselves like a slushie and some candy bars, and then go home and play video games or watch TV or something like that. I mean, it was nothing like, not, I mean, they weren't like investing in the stock market with this, you know, counterfeit money. I mean, this is just like, they're just trying to get themselves slushies and candy bars but they did it enough times and at the same 7-eleven that the secret service got involved and they were de- trying to deposit this fake 20 dollars bill and all they did was just come and like scare them like give them a little talking to but yeah the parents got involved and they, Shit, they do, sit down with they the do a lot service. more than that now yeah i mean fucking arrest your ass now Oh, he did a whole bunch of crazy shit. Like another one of his schemes. It's the same kid. They were in Houston and he tried to tell me, he's like, I didn't know what was really going on. I was like, okay, John, whatever. (laughs) I think he like tried out his stories on me. But anywho, so like they went to a golf course in the middle of the night and he had a pocket knife and then the the friend had a pocket knife. And these two kids are like genius level intelligence but they were too smart for their own good and with this these their pocket knives they decided they were going to cut sod out of the golf course and then sell the sod (laughs) somewhere else in houston right (laughs) but the timing couldn't have been any worse because there was going to be a professional golf tournament the next day that they couldn't have they had to cancel it at the last minute holy shit but they're stupid because they get caught on camera and then like the sheriffs and the police and you know now the family's being threatened with like civil damages and that was really stupid of them too yeah and he was like oh, i didn't know i was like oh, okay whatever and that's an entirely different different kind of grass i know exactly but it's very nice grass, very well taken care of, and in their stupid mind, they could turn around and sell it. It's worth money. 
for some 7-Eleven slushies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy, John, he's gone on to be, he's so brilliant. Um, he, uh, oh God, I hope I don't get a cease and desist letter now. But anyway, he went on allegedly to, so my parents graduated from a, a university in the South and he was like, I really like, he called me one day out of the blue. He's like, I really like your parents. And I was like, okay, you can have them if you want. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so I decided to go to law school where they went to school and I got accepted, and I was like, oh, my God, that's great. So now he's a lawyer practicing in uh, Hawaii, and he writes, um, like, Stephen King-type uh, wow. fantasy horror fiction <clears throat> books. Hopefully it's all fiction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he, he, so it turns out well. That's what I'm trying to say. That's yeah. my bottom line. You can There can be interventions, and then it turns out well. But if he had gotten a criminal record, if he hadn't got – if he had been expelled from school – what could have happened if yeah, he was arrested been... and sent to juvie for carving right. up golf turf? Yeah. I mean, there was some privilege at play. His father was a University of Texas professor, very well respected. Yeah, what, other if, kids, what if he was poor and black? Exactly. I mean, this other kid, his parents were <laughs> mm-hmm. probably very well connected to. So they had the money to pay for these attorneys to get charges dropped or, you know, civil penalties reduced or negotiate Hire attorneys that yeah. can do this magic. Exactly. Uh-huh. Costs money to do magic. That is faux show. But yeah, so it's very, there is privilege at play. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. And I think we can aim, you know, educate and empower and dare clients to advocate for, the, for themselves. Because a lot of times we assume everybody else is going to do the, the best, what's mm-hmm. best for me and take care of me. No, we need to not count on that. <laughs> Even a 12-year-old boy needs to not trust that everybody else is, has his best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Right. What does he make of being expelled? <clears throat> he agreed. When I said I, I was, when I was like, I'm wondering how that's helpful, he was resonant, receptive. I mean, is he mournful of like losing his friends? Um Losing that he was very matter. I talked about that with him. He was very matter of fact about it. I think he just doesn't want to expose the hurt. Um, but a lot of people, the, he didn't bring the spray paint. Someone else did, and then he didn't want to. I mean, client report. He didn't want to do it, and then went in the bathroom, and then just did it with him impulsively, and then they got caught, and then his friend group has scapegoated him as being the reason they got caught. So he's like double in trouble. So he's in trouble from administration, and and he got in trouble with his friend group. So wait, the friend group ratted him out? No, they think that he's the rat. Oh, they think he ratted them out. Yeah, or that he's the reason they got caught. And so what he's done is removed himself from that group and has told me that he doesn't really, he's just like, whatever. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. That kind of conceptualization right now. Mm. I mean, you know what though? It might be for the best that he's expelled. I mean, you know, there's a way to reframe this that right. maybe it takes him away from these other kids who could maybe that escal- if he had stayed with them escalates to breaking into cars and stealing stuff. True. Like, yeah, this could be an opportunity where there's an expel expulation and then 
we do some work, reset, recalibrate, so that when he engages in new friend groups in a new setting, there would be a contrast between his internal world and this external friend group, right? Like, like, uh, oh, this friend group is spray painting in bathrooms. Well, that is contrary to like my internal sense of peace or, or excitement or whatever, right? Yeah, my own values. It would, it would go opposed to that. And so it would be like, there's people, you know, there's people in my high school that never even knew who I was because we were just in completely different realms of like life and perception and yeah. They just don't even know me. Oh, like, absolutely. I mean, I remember being at my high school graduation and looking around and be like, because they graduated us alphabetically. Like, who are these people? <laughs> like, I've never yeah. seen you before. Yeah. So this this uh, segues into something else I've I've thought about uh, recently. And we've talked about this before, but I've, I think, shifted the language a little. Thinking of, like, uh, our internal... Our external world being an echo of our internal experience. I have been using this concept lately and seeing that it's helping me frame people's, quote, adaptations. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I've seen that. Because, like, I was, um, this guy uh, I see has a speech impediment, a stutter. And I was thinking about, like, I'm like, wow, okay. So he has this internal experience through his own dialogue, like how I'm going to come and engage with this person, if they're going to lean in and act like I'm, I can't speak if I'm stuttering or if I'm going to sound stupid. Like, and so I just don't talk, all this. That's echoed out into his external experience because he's in fashion. He's hesitant to like submit for bids. Like he's stuttering externally, like within... Mm-hmm. Uh, what he's pursuing and stuttering or, internally right and so it's mirroring i just thought that found that fascinating and i, I said that to him and he was like whoa <laughs> i mean he told me it's not like i figured it out i just listened but yeah it's he's like finding <clears throat> it's that cyclical echo of like the external being an echo of the internal like i'm stuttering i'm hesitant i I'm lacking power, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to fucking date someone who lives 500 miles away. You're going to feel pretty helpless and powerless and that you don't have a sense of direction in your life. Just that variable alone. Yeah. Like I think if, if I have an internal... um experience of like structure and security and consistency whenever someone moves 500 miles away i'm probably gonna be like oh well that doesn't really fit with what i'm trying to do like that's not pragmatic like for instance when my first girlfriend in recovery moved to tanzania who i am today would say hey i had a great time with you this sucks but i think it's best you just find your way there i find my way here like, we need to just kind of cut ties for now and heal and then in the future or whatever. But, like, we need to break it up right now. Not, oh, yeah, let's figure it out and then be thrown back and forth in this fucking tailspin for a year and a half. So that's what you did? Yeah. But that that was an echo of my internal experience, right? Because feeling helpless and feeling lost and uncertain was were, like, pillars to my 
my identity. And so I accepted that external um, signaling mm-hmm. of inconsistency and, we, and helplessness. And we haven't been exercising our wishes and honoring our needs, setting healthy boundaries feels selfish. Yep. It does. Yeah. Like, oh, you're leaving me? You're moving to Tanzania. Therefore, I'm going to break up with you. Yeah, it's like, I let me be fl- let me here. be flexible. Let me be understanding. Let me be supportive. Let me be your cheerleader. Which is what we're trained to do. But. And that was before I was a counselor. I was just doing it all on a whim. <laughs> that reminds me of people-pleasing. Like, yeah. You know, and that's an adaptation. Of course, you see that like when people who have like a fawning trauma response, like people please as a as a reaction to their own internal struggle. What do you mean a fawning trauma response? So if you have a we have fight, flight, freeze, and now there's this a lot of research supporting fawning, oh, which is um, basically like um, people pleasing in order to maintain the attachment or doing something to maintain the uh. attachment, like. Being very, yeah, being very solicitous. Going, going Bambi. Yes, going oh, Bambi. So cute. Yes. I'm so the wounded Bambi episode. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't you know? I see this a lot with clients who, um, you know, who have parents who abandoned them. They then, in their later relationships, will be overly solicitous, overly available, mm. um, to manipulate that person into never leaving them by being so helpful. The right. other person is then invested in staying because oh, because I need this you to be in my life because you you help me you help me get my paperwork done you help me clean the house you help and we me. have to think of this too as like okay the the fawn the fawner right mm-hmm. how healthy is their partner no the partner's sick because like sick for me if, if I have someone like my fucking girlfriend right now like like no what do you want to do damn it. Not me. What do you want? No one's ever done or done that to her. They're just like, oh, fucking cool. I get to just do whatever. <laughs> what do you want to do? It's like, oh, we're getting pizza. What do you want to eat on the pizza? I don't care. No, what do you want on the pizza? I'm not choosing right now. You are. I mean, I see this with clients who are the mommy in the relationship. And that works until it doesn't work, right? It works until a point where they're like, I really, this is getting disgusting. I don't like being the mom who, you know, tells my boyfriend or my husband, it's time to pay the bills. You know, did you deposit your money in the account this week? (laughs) Oh man. Or no, you can't spend $50 on new video games. Like, you know, like you're 45 years old. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But they, they basically have created a monster. Yeah. And then they wonder why they're unhappy or why they don't want to have sex. Well, I'm thinking of the echo, right? So you're you're talking about a client who is in that fawning response. How about their partner? Like what's the echo to have a partner that fawns? Well, I mean they themselves benefit from being taken care of, so there's like a helplessness factor right. there. Like they like being helpless oftentimes. Like they like being in that role of being seen as. Someone needs to be coddled. Being coddled and cared to and taken care of. And sometimes that comes from either having a mother who did that to them to an excess or not having had that experience at all. And now they're like replicating this mm-hmm. loss. Kind of or, like, or I mean, I'm trying to correct this loss. Like I want, I want my girlfriend to, uh, so I want to, if I share this, I want to take a shower, get my hair wet. This is when I had longer, my hair nice and wet. 
wrap me in a big towel, and I can sit on her lap, and she can comb my hair while I watch cartoons. What? <laughs> Is this a fantasy of yours, I think Evan? So. I think it's a fetish. <laughs> but that would be as a result of not having a mother. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then your, your this girlfriend would be my client, and she'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Evan wants his hair combed again. <laughs> And I wanted to like clip my fingernails. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's just the cartoons and, and combing of the wet hair. Yeah. Doesn't that feel cozy? You know, like a little kid, and tor- like like a little like towel tortilla. Oh, I, yeah. I wrap my kids, my mm-hmm. little girl, like they I look call so her burrito. Cute. Yeah, yeah. Just like, and you get to hold them, and it's and like she goes, snuggle me, snuggle yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, like you can't beat that. It's like a little bundle of joy, and you're just like nurturing them. Yeah, but she's kind of funny because she will kick open the door like she's the police. And she goes, Mommy, do you want your snuggles? <laughs> like, like, I'm not sure now. It's like 645. Uh, and I'm like, Whoa! I'm here for cuddles. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll Xena warrior princess. <laughs> I'm here to cuddle you. <laughs> and then she's she's funny because then she kicks Mike and she's like, you fart. Go over there. <laughs> I'm, staying, I'm yeah. staying with mommy. <laughs> What I was reflecting on with myself recently to try to figure out is, I don't know if I was agoraphobic, but I had like in middle school, probably elementary, but a lot of middle school, when I would go, it was just this thing that happened. It didn't happen before. I don't know what event triggered it, but when I would go stay at uh, friends' houses, I would have severe panic, like You'd call it uh, from layman like homesick and you have to go home or something. But mm-hmm. it was like, if I didn't go home, I was going to die. Like once it got later at night, everyone just, it was like this huge fear and I'm trying to connect now. I'm like, wait. So I, I suffer like abuse in my house. I never felt safe in my house. Yet when I'm staying over at a friend's house, I felt like it was the most unsafe thing possible and that I had to go back home before I could fall asleep. And that's a trauma response in and of itself. And it's very common really? because being at the friend's house where things are peaceful and calm and you're is scary. Infinitely more emotionally safe than you are at home. It's scary because you don't know what's coming next. You're like, well, shit at home. I chaos. I know chaos. So that's a language. But I Also, speak, if, but- if I could get them to pick me up, what would that tell me? Oh, so then, well, yeah, that they really do value you and want you with them. Or maybe you were taking care of mom and dad. I need them to know that they're important and relevant. Right. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking about that recently. I was like, wait, that doesn't fucking make sense. But it it, it does. And my sister, she she was like, like actually agoraphobic in high school. Hmm. Like, couldn't leave the house. Was she homeschooled? No. Was it, do you think like it, in uh, uh, senior year. But what do you think the agoraphobia was an adaptation to? Uh, for her, it could be a, this subconscious desire to be the cohesion for the family. Yeah, I would think that's exactly it. Like, and her presence, to, like, she couldn't assure cohesion unless she was present. Right, and... Um, Helping others feel needed or protecting me. Mm. Stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's right on the money. All right. Got that solved. (laughs) 
On, Case closed. On to the next. Right. Yeah. Problem solved. No more problems. On to the next. Please. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the amount of professionals that just couldn't see the the you know writing on the bathroom wall. Exactly. Wow, that that kind of helps with my conceptualization of my client now. <laughs> Seeing the writing on the wall, he's actually fucking writing on the wall, and no one notices. <laughs> wow. They're like, this we don't care what this is about. Just get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take your spray can with you. But these fucking people that are responding to this don't have the self-reflective capacity to wonder aloud why they're doing something. How are they going to do it for someone else? Not self-aware. Right. Like that no, disgusting troll who was flashing his junk in front of you, that's not emotionally, right? socially, politically safe while he's dishing out just justice. Like, he's not self-aware. He's not paying attention. He's stuck to that handbook. This is the one way. But then even more fucked up is in Texas in the 90s, my my male friends were paddled. Oh, I was. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. By the teachers? Or by the principal? principal? Yeah. That's what I meant. No one believes me. They're like, no. No, they did it in Texas, too. They did it in my high school. I had my my boyfriend's little brother. Um, Yeah, he was... He was like, I don't know, even know what he did. He probably was like late to class, something stupid. And I remember him seeing after he got paddled, and he's like, I just decided to take my licks. I was like, I just like remember being like just wide eyed as opposed to getting like um, in school suspension. Yeah, like, Mr. Clendenin used to paddle the shit out of me. He would have, mm. I mean, I've probably exaggerated my mind from being a child, but I know he had a number of paddles like hung up on the wall like a bass pro shop fisher you know those things that make noises <laughs> but yeah it was like i remember at least three like i remember a waffle but we'll we'll say there were three or four paddles like like a gun rack almost but the paddles and i would i remember going in and like he had wooden ones but then he had a special one that seemed to be silver maybe it was like i don't know if it was metal or was what, this an elementary school yeah do they still paddle? I don't think they do. I don't, I don't think so. But I, w- I remember distinctly this time where, I don't know what I did, but it was never proportionate, right? Like, when you think of paddling someone, you would think of, like, I don't know, I, like, I punched somebody in the face. Like, maybe then <laughs> I could see why they'd get to that level of punishment. But I don't know what it was. It was probably, like, like laughing in class and not paying attention or something. It really, it's probably what it was. We're going to paddle the ADHD out of you. Yeah, but it was like, I remember them paddling, like hitting me, and I would never give them the satisfaction of knowing that it hurt. Like that was all, that was always my goal. Yeah. I'd be interested to like interview that guy now. I'd be like, how did you get to a place in life? Might be dead. Well, the thing about the generational component too, like, that was not weird. I mean, that was some, something that's crazy. I think I maybe said this in the podcast before. I remember being in first grade. Kid similar to me got in trouble, and his punishment was that, that they would call his grandmother. She would come to school and beat the shit out of him. Like, there was, I remember distinctly one time, maybe I made this up in my mind, but it's clear as day in my mind. There was a bathroom in the in the room, first grade, Miss Edmonds' class. 
And I remember, like, he had gotten in trouble, like, acting up, whatever. Grandma comes in, pissed, pulls him into the bathroom, and I could hear the wailing and him screaming. Like, the vicarious stuff there, too. Like, it's fucking crazy. Like, that's that's insane. Mm-hmm. And that was just a... humiliation of him having to walk out of there. But also, like, what... But then the, the children f- listening are I all traumatized, too. Right. And I'm like... That was happening at, like, that was a Tuesday. Like, it didn't even seem what weird to me. What year would that have been? That would have been, like, the mid-90s, right? Yeah. That's crazy. That's not, I mean, in my mind, I mean, right, but it was like just, a thousand years ago. I mean, no, it's crazy me, now. that was, like, two weeks ago. When I think about it, it's crazy now. But then it was, like, Tuesday morning. It happened numerous times a I month. I mean, it didn't even, like, break the teacher's heart to hear their students. Well, she was like, probably mad at him. Yeah, that's true. It's got, it does root come? They take it personally. It comes yep. down to she's anger. mad and she's not concerned about what's good for the kid. What does the kid need? What's the problem? What's a functional solution? Well, it's just retribution. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's our society. Retribution, mm. shame, apologize, possibly be forgiven. But I'll decide. Like I, I'll decide if you can be forgiven. You're gonna have the shame though, regardless. But I'm not gonna forget. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna remind you of this fuck up forever. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's like, where's that? Like, I bet that dude's in prison or dead now. I, I mean, in all likelihood, we're strung out, mm-hmm. beating his children. Let's see if you can find him. Yeah, I, I can, and I know it's traumatic because I can per like I can't remember anyone in that class. I remember his very well and his face everything I remember what the grandma looked like that's insane what it is it's like just walk I mean I feel so sad these kids they like walk into just insanity land right I mean but then but then they're told this is normal this is acceptable and it was Yeah, I'm working with a client right now about that because she was raised in very unfortunate, crazy land circumstances. But she, I was complimenting her yesterday about how she has the wherewithal to know that what she endured was fucked up. Because mm-hmm. they ever met these clients and they'll tell their story and they just say it like they're talking, reading a menu. Yeah, they're like, I had a great childhood. Yeah, so they start off with, I had a great <laughs> yeah. childhood. Because they have like the no awareness the first like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> My parents are great. I was really good at putting the olives on the toothpick and mom's mar- <laughs> martini. Yeah. She always complimented me. But yeah, so, but she had the awareness. She has the awareness to to reflect and be like, that was abnormal. Like mm-hmm. and so she has a sense of what is right for her versus what she experienced. So I mean I think she's ahead of the game in terms of therapy just by mm-hmm. having that perspective. But that's a huge therapeutic component. Mm-hmm. Is to be able to see that the water is in fact murky. And I think a kind of maybe a theme of all therapy is kind of leveling the playing field because we don't know that my experience is not normal. It's not your childhood or your childhood. Mm. Clients are coming to us thinking what they've lived and experienced is it. Yep. So we get to challenge that. Was that normal? Was that healthy? Mm-hmm. Was there a better, better way? Yeah. What did that do for you? Yeah. And challenge it. What do you want your new normal to be? Where do you want to re- recalibrate and reset your tolerance level? Yeah, the 3.6 rotogens. I talk about that a lot in my therapy. 
It's a great movie. I've got to see this. This is Chernobyl. But yeah, like, where's the radiation coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of people are walking around tolerating so much nonsense. They're glowing with radiation. Yes. Yeah, they're just tolerating nonsense out of everybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if they're, if they're glowing the radiation, they're consuming all of it, then they're like the fucking algae eaters <laughs> in the fish tank. Yes. Like, this shit's great. <laughs> but it, it stops being symbiotic. Yeah, because then it becomes to well, like my was one client. Their like filtration system stops working as much, and then they're like consuming toxins as opposed to like eating the algae for everyone else. Yeah, so he's consuming toxins. This client I'm thinking of right Mm -hmm. now, but he's his presenting complaint. He took responsibility for it all. It's like the the algae eater saying, "I'm not consuming algae anymore correctly." He said the same thing. He's like, "I can't formulate relationships properly," Mm. and I was like. So we were really, it took us a long time, but we really broke that apart. And the reality is he's tolerating bullshit from everybody. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's, he's in this fawning stage of reaction. Yeah. I want to look more into that. I've only heard of fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. Um, CPTSD well, foundation. Enacting change, like algae eating, when you stop, all of the other fish are going to be pissed off. Oh yes. So when this person is doing the most delicate, fine, tuning of their life they've got their entire system coming down on them hard mm-hmm. but this is the client i was telling you about whose wife told him that she hated him and never loved him and oh, so nice. we, we finally got to the place i don't where, remember this. oh yeah that's pretty brutal it was, it was brutal like Holy he shit. you asked but you asked me he's like did he ever cry and so he did not cry and until we got to the place of reprocessing that memory and what came out, what this woman told him was just gobsmacking, like just cruelty. And Far worse than I never loved you. Far worse than that. Mm. Like, like she remembered the time they conceived one of their children and she was like, it was disgusting and I couldn't wait for you to be finished and just nasty. I mean, like, Jeez. I mean, horrible, like down to like his fatherhood and his humanity. I mean, just evil, really evil things. I mean, but anywho. But she reminded me when you talked to her, you all talking about the fish tank. It's like she's the fish and he's the algae eater. And then she's mad at him for her producing whatever substance it is that needs to be eaten by the algae. Her waste, pro- her her waste, waste product. product. Like yeah. she's mad at him that he's not consuming enough and more of her waste product. Of her shit. How of her you, shit. How, how dare, dare you? How dare you leave my shit laying around the <laughs> exactly, fish tank? Exactly. You're you not lazy motherfucker eating. Yeah, I, I hate you. And that's essentially what it was about. And so um, what did it in the reprocessing was um, he was starting to loop like and that and what that means is that the imagery in the mind's eye is starting just being the same and he's sort of saying the same thing and the subjective units of distress is not going down. And so I I'd had to do this cognitive interweave and he kept talking about she's giving me all this shit. She's giving me all this shit. And I just said, I want you to envision giving it back to her. And so he like envisioned himself like literally um, like if you could make words into a box and just handing it back to her, like putting the responsibility for Uh her point of view back. And then the sud just came down and he was crying appropriately. And um, yeah, the distress, it never got to zero, but it got to like (laughs) 0.5. So, I mean, I think that we contemplated that and it was very ecologically sound that they didn't clear out to zero because it was a grievous moment. I mean, you know, yeah. a relationship was ending and so there's always going to be a measure of sadness about that. But I need to have time distance either. 
Not You're saying it's recent. Yeah, it was, recent. yeah, fairly recent. Yeah, I was thinking about um what was I thinking about? Oh yeah, the so what I've wondered is firstly, who is securely attached? I'd like to meet them. <laughs> uh secondly <laughs> <laughs> what what does a breakup or end of marriage a lost relationship look like if i have a secure attachment with myself like what is the dialogue what's the healing process because i mean i've gotten way better but i remember in my early 20s it, if a relationship ended it was a core shattering event like it felt like crisis mm-hmm and I realized later on that that's abnormal. Like, I thought that was normal. But when you say felt like crisis, is it is felt like? Was a it a crisis? It was a crisis to you. Well. To just say felt like is insulting your own experience. Well, I don't think it was a crisis because it didn't impede on, like, I still. But it felt like one. Yeah, I, I guess I would measure as a crisis if I, like, couldn't. Um, live my life okay like I would measure crisis if it, like yeah it felt yeah it felt like a crisis maybe I'm minimizing I don't know but I would I would measure the crisis like if I if I had to drop out of school and I lost my job like I would measure like level of unmanageability to maintaining my life okay during that loss but yeah I, would, I just wonder like what would that look like the end of something if if I have a secure attachment, not maybe not even just with me, but like family or whatever, if there's secure attachment, what does that grieving process look like? I mean, I think it there would still be some organic, natural, as we say in the EMDR world, ecologically sound sadness and sure. grief, yeah. you know, because this person's moving on and they're not going to be in your life anymore, but you're not going to see the breakup as being a reflection of you, mm-hmm. of your, of your worthlessness. I'm unlovable. I'm, I'm unlovable. unworthy. Yes. I'm it's not you. It's me. Yeah. And we trust them when they say that, but we also do a scan. Am I okay? Did I fuck anything up? Did I do anything wrong? It's the best I can ever get. But there's a short yeah. window. Check yourself. Could I have done anything better? Could have, should have, would have. But I think secure attachment would be that I examine. I didn't find anything. I'm done. I grieve. Yeah. I'm not that important. I can't make it work. I or I've, yeah, it. I've examined. I see where my setbacks were. I'm going to work on that and be a better person for the new person I run into. It's like halftime right? of the football game. Right. Yeah. What do I need to do different? What plays worked? What didn't? Who do I need on the field? Who can I replace? Well, we don't have many songs that are... Um, from secure attachment perspective. No, we're too busy carving names. It's all about, yeah, like all of our songs and romanticized love uh, references are basically just enmeshment. Oh, it's like I think about, well, because one of the best things about listening to the Lithium Station on XM Radio with my 17-year-old son is that I get to sing the songs and No Doubts, um, Don't Speak came on, and I was like, just singing, you know, <laughs> like it's all mournful and like um, melancholy about, yeah. you know, this breakup. And my, my son's like, stop singing. This song's awful, you know. Like, but that's what I think about. Like an unsecure attachment would be like the person listening to that song on repeat. And be like, this is, this is so good and yeah, like, accurate. Like this and... person gets me, you know, Gwen Stefani gets me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but speaking of breakups, my son's girlfriend dumped him on prom night just a few weeks ago. That was after the night before. Oh, no, she waited until they're at the party. She waited until the photographs were taken. I left because I was taking the pictures. And within 20 minutes, I get a phone call from her. And she's very cold. And she says, I've called. Hello, Melissa. I'm calling to inform you that I have broken off, broken up the relationship or broken up with Wolf or whatever. Like, like she said it just very like robotically. And I was like, what the fuck? And, you know, I just got back in the car and she's like, I need you to come get Wolf because he's upset. And I was like, well, a fucker, he's upset. He's, you know, you dumped him as soon as the pictures were taken. (laughs) Jesus Christ. How cold and calculating is that? But she, um, yeah, so I went back to go get him, but he was like, no, I'm going to go to prom anyway and have fun with my friends. So I was really happy for him. Yeah, that's big. Life goes on. Yeah. I think it speaks to her pathology that she called you. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. It's like, oh my, so my, yes, that's, and yes. And to get rid of him, like he's upset. Come get him. He's like, a, he's like ruining my night. Yeah. My, my current girlfriend, she said her ex like, like kicked her out and call, like called her mom. Her mom knew about it before she was able to tell him. Oh, wow. Like, and he went apparently on this whole thing about like, I'm out, you know, I'm, I'm going to find someone and be married within the year. Like I wish her well, like just weird shit. It's like, why are you calling her mom and saying this? And why look weird. I think it's like to control the narrative. It's, it's like, like the, so that they're not, sh- their shame is protected. Their shame something. is protected. And, and it really backfired because so they're at the party. None of the friends knew this was going to happen. So the hostess, and her mom are having to like help Wolf process what's going on. And they gave him a talking, you know, just like a, like a pep talk. And, sure. and it was, I, I owe that woman a huge debt of gratitude. And then all the friends were mad at her and they're like, at the girlfriend, they're like, you ruined our night. Like you couldn't wait till Sunday to break up with him. I mean like, yeah, like have some coffee. Yeah, and talk. exactly. You know, now well, she's a kid too. But I assume she's. I not- assume I, I I have to intellectually remind myself of that because yeah. 1994 Melissa would have like driven <laughs> over there and caused yeah. a huge scene. Exactly. <laughs> I mean that's my child being you know screwed up, so I have to. But he was able to be resilient. I ooh this he was very resilient. So this I have, I sh- I shifted the script on a client hardcore recently. So I know I'm talking a lot. I, this thing has amped me up. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this, this, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, this guy, separation, he has a lot of shame based on he wasn't able to hold the family together. He's supposed to be the breadwinner and the cohesive system for everyone and protect everyone. His daughters are five or six and seven, all this stuff. And I, after a while, I just thought, I'm like, oh, a couple things are happening simultaneously. He has shame because he's not able to protect his daughters from the separation and, and the distress that may cause and the new male that's in the, the child's lives, all this powerlessness, helplessness. Yet, there's something that seems to happen even if you're not separated at, at ages six and seven or five and six, which is the child before then is, is the shaping and molding of that cohesive nuclear family system, right? They're in the home, 
they're not going out much. They don't have friends, groups, the preschool, you know, maybe preschool, but like at, at five, six, seven, eight, that's a transitional period in my theory of a parent's identity with the child. So even outside of the separation divorce, these are separate individual people. That differentiation, correct? That not an extension of me. That they are beginning to experience their own lives mm-hmm. outside of him, right? They have stuff that they're doing, ballet or or gymnastics or soccer. They're developing their identity outside of him. And also, what's happening simultaneously is, you know, I ask him, well, how did you become resilient? I went through shit simply put right okay so how who are we creating as children if we're protecting them from anything possible that could harm them right so if we're not trusting their ability to adapt and be resilient they won't be exactly right exactly so who are you to say that like this is a, a positive transformative moment where they realize hey not every relationship works and I have to act a little different around this person than this person. That could be something that fosters resiliency and the ability to like hold space in a conference call or something yeah, later down the road. Absolutely. I mean, I think if I had, you know, flown into the house and confronted the girlfriend and that would have been embarrassing for him. It would have been horrifying for him. That would have been way worse. And if I was him. embarrassing for me. <laughs> like, oh, and a very, very clear message that he can't take care of himself. No, like he ma- can't defend himself. Emasculating. Holy, yeah, completely emasculating. It's like lesson number one in learned helplessness. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mommy, I'm at the dealership. Which car should I buy? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I as a mother handled it very well. Um, well, I called that girl back and yeah, I, I did call her a bitch, but no. I, I called <laughs> her, back her back and cussed her and out. I said, um, I did not curse. I was really good. I was really good. I did not curse yeah. her out. I said, you remained you the know, observer girlfriend, whatever your name is. Um, I'm, I understand like I, as a woman, like I believe in body autonomy and she has the right to date whoever she wants to date. She didn't want to date my son. That's fine. I don't really don't care. But I, I was like, I really question your timing your timing seemed exceedingly selfish. And I said, you waited until the pictures and then you dumped him. Mm-hmm. And then she Yeah, this hung. isn't dating. This is just a social contract. This is an event, an yeah. engagement. It's- How long were they dating? Two years. Holy shit. Oh, I know. I thought I know. she recruited him just for this picture. Yeah, I was saying, oh, no, 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 no. That's my bias. I was like two or three months. He looked good in the picture. I mean, my, my, Damn. I'm, I'm, again, I'm biased. My, I think my son's really handsome, but... See, yeah, um, that's the con- contrast. Like, if that happened to me in that age, it would have looked a lot different than I'm going to prom anyway. I would have broke some shit. I would have hurt some people. <laughs> Went to a psych ward. That's the contrast. Yeah. Had a slippy slot. Slippy sock holidays. That we're <laughs> yeah. yeah. Slippy sock vacation. Yeah. Grippy sock vacation. Dude, I still will go. Like, I'll go to a bath, like a shower at a a hotel or somewhere I'm staying that's not my house and I'll like have this smell and I'm like I'm thinking about being in a psych ward in the shower oh, like it's God. like, like this it's like their pine salt or something some smell like it just takes me right back yeah. to this moment showering in a psych ward olfactory memory is the hardest to extinguish yep 
but yeah, I mean this this uh, the hostess mother she um, she just did this remarkable job of expressing empathy and uh, incur like she just like blew smoke on his own sense of confidence and and just really as uh, helped him to appreciate that there's the context here is greater than you and the girlfriend. You have your friends here and they love you and they support you and they want to have a good time with you. I'm and, still trying to get over it. it. Was two years? Yeah, two years. I mean, I was never. Because at that uh, age, really that's a huge that chunk of his life. Oh yeah, he has a huge. It's very. It was very developmental. It was very uh, like integral to his development to have this girlfriend. Um, but I think there was chapters in that relationship where he was overly reliant upon her for friends as well as for like helping to understand himself. So he was like using her to understand himself and using her to like give him confidence and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think, I mean, I think the relationship would have naturally died out. Um, I just wish she had done it in a kinder way <laughs> at, <laughs> but, a different you know, time. at a different time, but it ultimately, yeah, it speaks to his own resilience because now, you know, now that she's out of the picture, I just see him differently. I feel like he's happier. Um, I never really felt like he was all that happy with her. I felt like, have you told him this? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I'm a mom. He's like, yeah. hey, you have to tell me this. That's your job to say things like this, you know. Yeah, I don't. But his dad says the same thing. Mike says the same thing. You know, he we see him as happier. He has um, more activities. Mm-hmm. He's now like really invested himself in his uh, activities at school. Now he's going to have like leadership positions next year. So. Um, it was so funny. This girl's name is Amber. And I had a joke and I was like, well, now you and Johnny Depp have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> so it's crazy ex-girlfriend. The shift Amber. is like, okay, there's a loss. Are we pushing our energy into finding out where our power lies and, and pursuing it? Or are we falling back into perceived helplessness? Exactly. And he is not falling back yeah. into perceived helplessness. I mean, he is really cut. So that must on. not be his echo. And I'm very thankful. Right. So his echo contrary to what it currently is which is power it would be like yeah I am helpless I am useless I am unworthy and then he would not be pursuing what he's pursuing I think it's like a toddler falling they'll look at us is this okay Mm -hmm. they'll cry if we freak out a lot of kids they're rubber their bones are literal rubber they bounce they fall they smack the ground with their face and they jump up and run away as long as they don't have a freaked out audience yeah we do this at every age five or 55 (laughs) yeah if i tell you i just smack the ground with my face and you guys are both rushing to me to grab me and help me up and dust me off that's a clear message that something really bad happened yeah, I must not see the crack on the mm-hmm. back of my head. Uh-huh. But, the, you know, that's interesting because there was a research study um, probably in maybe the 50s or the 60s about the Blitz in Great Britain and the children who um, were able to come out of that suffering the Blitz and having to run to down to the subway or the sewers or whatever underground. The ones who had mothers that stayed calm and were like, you know, reading books. Oh, while, time to go to the time bunker. To, time to go to the bunker, you know. Even though there's all this uh-huh. crashing and lightning and buildings falling and bombing going on, those are the children who did better than the moms who were like, ah! you know, completely freaking out and just mm-hmm. like, 
chickens with their heads cut off, not knowing what to do, not exhibiting a leadership position. Yep. Or, you know, so mm-hmm. that's what I try. I mean, I've remembered that study, and so it's helped inform and shape my mothering to some extent. So, but you know, I also use it as an opportunity to express how I really felt about the girlfriend. It's like I really, you know, like, I think Mike even said it. He's like, I, th- I always thought you were punching below your weight class with her. And like, <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't know. Wolf, Wolf is like very gentlemanly, and he never says, he never confirms or denies anything we say. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's wrap up. All right. I'm gonna. I got a. I just bought a road bike recently. Oh, I thought you already had one. Uh, I was borrowing Mary's dad's. Uh, so I'm kind so of, you have a mountain bike? It's a, a bike. it's a, it's a road bike. But I just got Strava. You know, I've heard of Strava. It's like a, it's hiking and running and stuff. You can like find I've hikes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's like an app. Yeah, but now I have like a. I just it's like seven dollars a month, but I can make my own uh, uh, routes and stuff. Just don't lead anybody off a cliff. Yeah. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, they do with Apple Maps. <laughs> I would. I would. Apple like, I don't Maps know what I'm doing. <laughs> you didn't know that? Like, uh-uh. like, right when Apple Maps started, because they were literally just looking at the map instead of the road. Oh, the yeah. People would fall off cliffs. I think they, and, yeah, I think they, maybe they did that. Or they'd walk into ponds so without paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot of We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes. Rate and review this podcast and share it with your network. Thank you greatly for listening, and we hope we gave you some new ideas that help you develop as a counselor, or perhaps incorporate into your psychotherapy practice. You can contact Evan Miller, Melissa Martin, or Eli Branscombe. Please email contact us at tellmeaboutyourmother.run. <laughs>